Well, if you are a guest, we're delighted that you're here this morning. It's so good to see uh, you today, and we're, Nancy and I are both appreciative of uh, the provision of time uh, to rest and to see family and go back and uh, tend, to, tend to things at our uh, house. <laughs> um, so we are in Mark, and if you'll open to the seventh chapter, um, and we're also going to read uh, Mark's, excuse me, Matthew's parallel uh, passage on this event, and that's found in Matthew 15. So if you want to uh, put a finger in Matthew uh, um, 15 and open to Mark 7, and if you would, would you stand? Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, be pleased to add uh, your blessing uh, to your word. Uh, Make us good soil. Make our hearts and minds and spirits receptive. May we yield to you. Uh, May you grant, uh, Lord, that this, your word, would bear a fruit in our lives. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Verse 24. And from there he rose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. And then from Matthew chapter 15, beginning in verse 21, And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And he said, And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he didn't answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she's crying out after us. And he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. You may take your seats. Well, perhaps you'll identify with this uh, little conversation that Sarah Walderman uh, captures with her friend. She writes, my friend and I sat on uh, my patio drinking tea and catching up on life. She had just moved to a new situation, away from familiar work, beautiful spaces, and valued friends, and she was experiencing 
the exhaustion that comes uh, with the emptiness of a job that was too full, uh, a context where she felt undervalued and where it was difficult uh, to make friends. Tears filled her eyes as she spoke of her weariness, her disillusionment, and even her anger. And there are times like that, aren't there? When circumstances just leave you weary. Daniel uh, Bornstein's a historian, and I think he puts his finger on why this is so often our experience. He says, we expect anything and everything. We expect uh, contradictory and the impossible. We expect compact cars, which are spacious, luxury cars, which are economical. We expect to be rich and charitable, uh, powerful and merciful, active and reflective, kind and competitive. We expect to eat and stay thin, to be constantly on the move and ever more neighborly, to go to the church of our choice and yet feel its guiding hand in our lives, to revere God and to be God. Never have people been more masters of their environment, and yet never have people felt more deceived and disappointed. For never have people expected so much that the world could not offer. Disappointment leaves us, doesn't it? Weary, it leaves us in turmoil, and often it leaves us very pessimistic. Have you ever, in the midst of experiencing a disappointment or two or three, just had your confidence in the goodness of God and his plan for your life just swept out uh, under your legs? Uh, uh, do you find there are times that you just look into the future with pessimism? Well, the unnamed woman in our text possesses an optimistic faith that both delights in Christ and receives from him what is needed. Uh, in fact, she is one of the very few people uh, in the New Testament whose faith actually impresses uh, Jesus, and her faith is exhibited in three characteristics that by God's grace can grow in our lives as well. She exhibits a shameless humility, a shameless persistence, and a shameless confidence. Uh, look first at her shameless humility with me. Now, Jesus leaves Galilee and heads northwest to the region of Tyre. That's modern Lebanon. And he's gone there not to preach, but to rest. He wants a break from the demands of ministry. He's seeking some privacy, uh, Mark tells us, some downtime uh, to recharge. Uh, but of course, his fame has traveled far and wide, far further than the 30 miles that he travels up to the city of Tyre. And uh, he is staying in a house and a parent uh, a woman whose daughter is possessed by an evil spirit learns that he's near. In her desperation and love, uh, she is moved to shamelessly approach Jesus. Now, Jewish women didn't approach Jewish rabbis. And this woman is a Gentile. In fact, Matthew tells us she is a uh, Canaanite. Tyre uh, was, in the view of uh, a Jewish person, well, just 
the place you'd find the most extreme forms of paganism. In other words, it was the worst of the worst. Even Matthew the tax collector would have raised his eyebrow at uh, being among people like that. And further, she has a daughter who has unclean spirit. And coming to Jesus, she's breaking all the rules. You see, shamelessly, she crosses the barriers of nationality, of religion, of gender, and tradition. And what's more, well, Jesus is taking a break. It doesn't really look like this is a promising time to come and ask for something. And in great humility, she throws herself down uh, before him. And Matthew records her first words, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. She humbles herself. She surrenders her pride. Uh, she acts without concern for her dignity. You see, her humility is just shameless. She isn't looking over her shoulder wondering, well, what are people uh, thinking? Uh, uh, she is as unselfconscious as a four-year-old child. She has a great need and she's helpless. Uh, she's not disrespectful. She doesn't think she has a claim on Jesus. Now, when I was growing up, my mom lived uh, by the old aphorism, children are uh, uh, to be seen and not heard. And for my mother, that meant seen outdoors because she kept her house like a museum. And so she didn't want her children in the house messing things up. And so I spent most of my days outdoors and especially in the summers. And of course, I got a lot of sun as a result. And eventually that caught up with me, and I developed skin cancer. And uh, in my mid-30s, it, it developed into an ulcer on my nose that would bleed. And I, it would kind of heal up between showers, but it continued to bleed. And eventually, uh, at the insistence of my dear wife, uh, Nancy, um, well, I did what men don't like to do. I went to see the doctor. And I had a little, you know, a little, well, procedure in his office. But the procedure didn't get all the cancer, and so not two years passed, and I needed to go see the doctor again. And that meant a trip uh, to the operating room. They put you in a very cold room, and they hand you a thin gown and say, undress, please. <laughs> put this on. And then they cart you before a group of strangers. Remember, you're in that gown. You know, it is an utterly undignified process. And humiliation is the price for a cure. Faith and pride are antithetical. Pride asserts its independence. It says publicly, I don't have any needs. Pride asserts its self-sufficiency. I can do it myself. I can get by. I don't need to ask for help. I've got all the resources I need. Pride asserts its dignity. I won't humble myself. You will never have a pleasing faith unless you repent of these forms of pride. And your repentance will be evidenced by facing realistically your situation, admitting you have deep needs. You have hurts 
and fears. Admitting that to other people. Repentance is admitting that your own resources are inadequate and shamelessly coming to Jesus. Forgetting about how it looks to beg. You see, real repentance from pride makes room to be desperate. Now, all of us are, to some degree or another, prone uh, to these forms of pride. But even churches uh, uh, can be marked by this kind of pride. Jesus uh, speaks to the church in Laodicea uh, this way. Uh, He says, I know your works. You're neither hot nor cold. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I'm rich. I have prospered. I need nothing, not realizing that you're wretched, pitiable, uh, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. You see, dignity and pride blinded them. Biblical knowledge, doctrinal correctness, moral uprightness, sacrificial service, they're all good things, just as much as wealth and knowledge and giftedness are for us as individuals. But just as those things for us as individuals often fuel pride, so all of these things can fuel pride in a church. And when a church is proud and actually uh, is, manages life so that it maintains its dignity, well, it won't come with desperate shamelessness and uh, shameless humility to beg Jesus to do what only he uh, can do. Jesus counsels the churches, all the churches, to ask uh, to see their true condition and to run to him for what he alone can give. Next, notice her, her shameless persistence. Mark writes, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. The tense of the verb beg could have been translated because it's imperfect. She kept begging. And Matthew in his parallel makes it really clear that that's the force of this when he writes, but Jesus did not answer her a word and his disciples came and begged him saying, send her away for she's crying out after us. You get the picture? She begs. Jesus ignores her, and the disciples are impatient about this. This goes on. This isn't just happens one exchange. This goes on and on and on. They're quite annoyed. And finally, Jesus does speak up, and his words are, let the little children be fed first, for it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now, when you first hear that, when you first read it, it sounds offensive like a racial slur or insult. Um, It's fairly obvious that what Jesus is saying is that the children of Israel are the the children in view here. And that makes the Gentiles the dogs. But this is not an insult, it's a parable. The picture is of a family gathered for a meal. And the family puppies are under the table, uh, hoping uh, that something will come their way. It'll fall off uh, the table. 
And these aren't street dogs. They're not scavengers. They're not feral. They're not the kind of dogs that are out uh, eating all sorts of vermin and dead things on the street. No, they're part of the family, and they will be fed, but not before the children. There's an order to Jesus' ministry. He's been sent first to the Jewish people. They're the one people on the earth that God has prepared to understand what it means for the Redeemer uh, to come in the person of Jesus. Uh, he has revealed to them their, the need for a Redeemer, the, the necessity of, for atonement, uh, for sin, the nature of uh, sacrifice, of God's justice and righteousness, of what it means to live in the consequences of sin and to receive judgment, but also what it can mean to be uh, pardoned. You see, it's been revealed to them all the things you really need to know to understand the life and death of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is the fulfillment of the promises given to them, the promises they'd been waiting to see fulfilled. Only after Jesus' resurrection will he send his followers to make disciples of all the nations. And then the nations will have their uh, turn, and they uh, will themselves be recipients at the table of grace. And she replies, yes, Lord. Wow. Yes, Lord. That's amazing. You see, she heard the parable, and she's really listening. Her heart's not like hard soil. Uh, she's not blind or deaf, as Isaiah said people would be. No, uh, she's the, actually the first person in Mark's gospel who actually understands one of the parables of Jesus. She actually understands his uh, mission, and she accepts it. Jason Meyer really helpfully uh, paraphrases what she's saying this way. She says, I recognize I don't have a place at the table until later because I'm not from Israel. I accept that, but I see something else. This is a feast. There's more than enough for Israel. If I'm a puppy in your story, I know puppies eat uh, from the table when the crumbs fall. You see, she's unique. This Gentile woman is unique in all of Mark's gospel. She enters the world of the parable. She sees herself uh, in it. She says, yes, Lord. And then she reasons from within the world of the parable and finds hope there. You see, Jesus speaks this parable to test her faith, to see what it's made of. And he likes what he sees. He's pleased by it. She achieves her desire not by a witty answer, but by a faith that is shamelessly persistent, unrelenting in its begging of the one who can help meet and grant her need. Now, she reminds me of Eric. He's a salesman in a Bible study that we attended while we were in Philadelphia, and I was in graduate school preparing to be a pastor. Uh, I was discussing my job prospects as my time in seminary was ending, and I complained that my lack of experience closed all the doors. Every church wanted years of experience. Well, how can you get years of experience if nobody will hire you? It just felt like a catch-22. And he said to me, it's not no, 
until they throw you out. Now, Eric was a, an engineering graduate of Drexel, and he was very good as a salesman doing what he did. And, uh, and he told me, uh, when he visits a potential client, he just keeps at it. No is not no to him until uh, they boot him out and lock the door. And you see, that's exactly what this woman is like. She's not put off by Jesus' parable, which would seem to say no. No, she's right there. Is your faith persistent in seeking what you need from God? Or are your prayers, well, are, are they like the sparrows and the doves? They're just flirting about. You know, they don't land and stay uh, very long in one place. And you're praying for people. Do you persist in praying, not just for a week or two, but for months and even years? Or do you give up? Well, because God seems unresponsive, seems like he's not listening, that he's not doing anything. Will you as a church, and by that I mean all of you and together, Will you persistently pray, daily pray that God will grant you a new permanent pastor? Will you as a church, individually and together, persistently beg for opportunities to share the gospel with people who are far from God and that God would unleash the power of the gospel in people's lives and transform them? Will you as a church shamelessly beg uh, the Lord Jesus Christ persistently for the power of the Holy Spirit uh, for your ministry. Now Mark finishes uh, this uh, uh, incident this way, and he's, Jesus said to her, For this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed, and the demon gone. And Matthew adds, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. You see, she went home confidently, Mark tells us. Her faith was shamelessly confident. Jesus' word was enough for her. She doesn't say, well, you've got to come to my home. You've got to lay hands on my daughter. I've got to see you bring uh, freedom to her. No, she knows. She's completely confident that his word was enough. And her confidence is also seen in this. When Jesus says no to her, you're not one of the children. You can't have anything. She doesn't protest. She knows she doesn't have a claim on Jesus. Uh, she doesn't press a claim as if she has a right to something. But instead of being embarrassed or simply walking away, she appeals to his kindness. Let me have a crumb. Isn't that just kindness? Let me just have a, a crumb from the banquet. You see, she doesn't give up because she's shamelessly confident of his grace. She's not thinking about her worthiness. She's thinking about his grace and his kindness. Have you grasped just how kind and gracious 
the heart of Christ is. I want you to know that there are depths to that heart that perhaps no one has ever uh, delved to the bottom of. But if you want uh, help in starting to see more of that, you might uh, pick up Dane Ortland's book, Gentle and Lowly, or even Thomas Godwin, and some of those uh, that uh, he's building upon, whose words and, and riches and insight into Scripture he's developing. Here's a story uh, told that comes from the time of Napoleon. For you boys and girls, if you haven't heard of Napoleon history, he was a, a great leader in France and a, a general. And uh, on one occasion, his horse got away uh, from him. An alert private jumped on his horse and uh, chased down Napoleon's. And then he led the horse back uh, to the general. And as he uh, put... Uh, Uh, the reins into Napoleon's hands. Napoleon said, thank you, captain. Well, the soldier's eyes uh, widened and he straightened and he saluted and said, thank you, sir, because he'd only been a private. And immediately went to the barracks and he moved uh, his things uh, from uh, those quarters over to the officer's quarters. And then he went and saw the quartermaster and he changed his uniform to that of a captain. You see, he didn't argue. He didn't shrug. He knew that Napoleon's word was all he needed to get that promotion. Well, we know so much more than this woman could possibly know about Jesus. We have great uh, a reason than she does to be shamelessly confident of his grace, of the Father's uh, love for us. We can look at the cross and see all that he was willing to undergo uh, for us to show us mercy. And yet, isn't it true that when we experience a disappointment, when some setback happens, when a loss comes, we conclude God doesn't really care. We may think his intentions toward us are actually ill. We move from a place of optimism, if we were there, to a place of crippling, depressing pessimism. Our confidence will only grow if we learn to reason and argue with ourselves about uh, the great kindness and mercy and love uh, that are seen in Christ and especially in the cross. But also, uh, we need to argue with ourselves, remind ourselves, uh, make a point of recollecting those many occasions, some of them very small and others of them very large, and sometimes when things were utterly impossible and in his faithfulness he came and met us in our need. That's what David does when he faces Goliath, isn't it? He's confident that God is going uh, to be with him as he goes and faces uh, the giant on the basis of his experience as a shepherd. He says, the Lord who delivered me from the uh, uh, paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. You see, the prayer that arises from the faith that pleases Jesus is not resignation. Praying in faith with shameless humility doesn't mean we just ask once and then conclude it must not be God's will. It's not casual. It's not half-hearted. The faith that pleases Jesus is a prayer that is completely in harmony with feeling desperation for God to act. 
brothers and sisters, the churches in the majority world understand this in a way that rarely have I observed in the churches in this country. I've heard African leaders when asked about why it is that they see such remarkable uh, healings in their midst will say, well, you in America, you have one million doctors. And here in Nigeria, we don't have even 2,500. You see, you in America, you rely on all the medicine that you have and all the medical advances and you aren't moved like we are because we don't have any of that to desperately ask for God uh, to intervene and to bring uh, healing where there are no other possibilities. And perhaps that is also why they see the gospel advance in places that are just as dark as any place that we move and live. You see, this woman's shameless faith not only pleases Christ, but it gains from him what is needed. When Nancy's older sister uh, decided to marry George, that's not his real name, it was without her parents' approval. George had abandoned his first wife, in a mental hospital, and they feared that he would abandon their daughter as well. And on top of that, uh, she had professed faith in Christ, and he was not a believer. And uh, so, uh, while they were not pleased and did not think it wise for them to marry, nonetheless, they attended uh, the wedding, and then they prayed earnestly uh, for George Two children and about 15 years later, George had had it with Betty and he initiated a separation and then a divorce. After that, Nancy's mother, Nellie, dies, but still Bob, or Papa, as we called him, prayed for George. Some years later, when their oldest uh, child was at college, there was a parent's day and Papa went, and there he met George's new wife. Sometime after they married, she'd become a Christian. He knew that because she was holding a Bible in her hands, and, and Bob immediately identified himself as a Christian too, and she was glad. You see, that is bold, persistent, confident faith that did not let go of that need in the face of what otherwise was impossible for Bob and Nellie to effect. May you go and do likewise. Let's pray. Gracious Lord God, work in us, deepen within us such pleasing faith. Father, I thank you. This is a praying congregation Awaken within us, Lord, all that you would ask of us in our faith, that we too might lay a hold of Christ, that we might see his power at work greatly, that you might provide the next pastor, 
that we would see the gospel make advances here that would seem improbable, perhaps even impossible to us.